Welcome to the Healing Process Podcast, where we explore how to move from hurt to healing. I'm your host, Nathan Sellers. I'm an LCSW with a passion for helping people heal, grow, and become the best version of themselves. Listen today as we learn from my guest, Crystal Bryant. I am super excited to have Crystal Bryant on my show today. She's a friend of mine for many years, and her story is absolutely incredible and super hard. And so just a little bit of context, Crystal, welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, it's a pleasure. A little bit of context. So we're going to be talking today about two hurts, one of them being very emotional, mental, even spiritual. Uh, and another one being very physical. And and we're going to look a little bit at how some of the aspects of healing from both those actually have a lot of crossover in, in how they work. Um, so I want to just kind of expand on, on that today. And thank you for being willing to do this. Of course. Happy to share my story. Yeah. So the, the first one is, is really the story of your marriage, your first marriage, um, and the the real difficult challenge of of having your husband become addicted to pain medicine, getting really caught up in that, and the lies and the manipulation and the the challenging gaslighting and all that kind of stuff that happened through that whole process, and him being in rehab and you having to take care of kids and and all the struggles and challenges that came with that and the, uh, the eventual ability to get divorced and and start moving on such a painful and and challenging process. And then the second one, which happened not that long ago, just in 2001 climbing with who is now your new husband, you guys were climbing the Tetons. And as you were climbing up, you lost your grip on the rocks and actually fell 20 to 30 feet to what many would have probably assumed would be your death. But fortunately for all of us, uh, not so. And it's such a scary and, and challenging experience. Yeah. So we want to kind of get into these and and talk through kind of what your process of healing from each of them was. And we'll we'll kind of make the connections as we go along. Okay. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, it was really interesting. Kind of when you were bringing up uh, my marriage, I was looking back and thinking like from like a bird's eye view and kind of like an overall perspective, I'd probably look back and tell myself like, you've got this. <laughs> But when I was in it, I didn't even know how I would make it one more minute. And it was kind of like this secret because I felt like our marriage was sacred and that my husband's intentions were to heal from this. And so I was going to preserve his good name. And in doing that, I was experiencing a lot of inner turmoil. So I'd like get ready in the morning, get the kids off to school. He'd go to work. And then I would go lay in our closet and sob for like hours, like ugly crying, like snot. And I, I just didn't know what to do. And usually in a marriage, like you have a trusting relationship where you can go to your spouse and counsel with each other. And I just kept trying to do that with him. Strangely, like we'd go to dinner and I'd be like, Hey, like if this gets really bad, what do I do with the house? Like, how do I help the kids? I like, what if you die? Like, what if you kill someone? Like, and he just acted like everything was normal and fine. And like, I was baddie. Which is super hard in and of itself, right? Because you're trying to be vulnerable. Yeah. And to try to get some healing and some cooperation, but to have that just be like, oh no, everything's fine. What's your problem? Yeah. Oh. It created like, over time, it created 
kind of a strange alternate reality, like me questioning what in the heck's like actually going on. And all I did is just like, I was just thirsty for truth. I even remember telling him like, I don't care if you're using, like, I literally don't care. I just need to know if you are like, I just need to know that you, um, I need to know the truth to preserve our children and make sure like not driving them. I need to know like where we stand. I need to know if you're safe. Of course, like someone who's stuck in addiction and just surround with, with all of that, there's, no clarity to be able to say like, yeah, I've been abusing today. You got the kids, (laughs) you know, I just, that was kind of like a total facade that I believed could be a truth, but there were times like he would be like, yeah, um, if you can get a babysitter, let's go on a date tonight. And I was like, okay. Like, yes, he's trying to connect. This is great. Like it's going to be okay. And He's getting ready and he's taking like a really long time and he keeps like disappearing to the closet and the babysitter's already been there for half an hour, 45 minutes. And finally, like we're able to get out the door and he's just like sweating profusely, like in the winter, sweating like you would if you were running in the gym and kind of demeaning himself and then driving our car in like a 45 mile an hour zone going like 16, 17 miles an hour. I'm like, Hey, like do you need me to drive? Like what's going on? And all the while, like my heart is going from like, yay, like get a date with the person I love. Like I'm excited. Someone's got the kids. Uh, Maybe we can make some progress here to like, oh my gosh, this is still it. Like, this is still it. Like he won't talk about it. We're not allowed to talk about it, but he can't even drive and he's driving. (laughs) What are we doing? Oh, so scary. And then turning that on me. Well, if you can't handle the way I'm driving or like you're always a backseat driver, you're so controlling. And I think like the other day, Nathan, we had talked like one thing that happens when somebody's really hard on you like that is you get better. Uh, you just strive to be better. Like you just work so hard because like you're working for them, but like you're working to be a better human so that and it's not like for the right reasons, really. I don't I wasn't working to be a better human for me. I was working to be a better human to salvage my relationship and my marriage, which ultimately I didn't have full control over. And I didn't understand that. But when you come out the other side, like you're kind of (laughs) awesome. I was like, oh my gosh, like I've worked through so many like faults about myself. I've overcome so many fears. And also growing up, my dad would always say, when we lived in Alaska, there was a couple of times where there's earthquakes. And I remember my family driving to the high point in Cordova, Alaska, which is like the ski hill um, cause we're afraid of like this tidal wave and more, we did that early on when we lived there. Cause the, the longer you live there, the more comfortable you get with like, maybe things will be okay if we're down lower. But I was praying to God and I was like, what do I do? I wanted to just like have this formula of like how to solve everything. And he just said, in case of inclement weather, climb to higher ground. And that whole vision of like us driving up in the front of a It's just like a single cab pickup with seven people in the front of that cab driving in this old Chevy up to the top of Ski Hill in this teeny tiny fishing community and just remembering being small and remembering and thinking we're more safe up here and trying to figure out what that meant for me and my children, which is like, you know, I was mostly the guardian of the kids. Like, what can I do to to climb to higher ground? 
with my little clan here. Yeah. It's husband's choice if he wants to do that, but like we can control what we do. That's so powerful, Crystal. Like as you were sharing that story with me and like, okay, translating and receiving an answer from God of, of your past experience, you know, in, in Alaska to, okay, what can I do now? I'm feeling the tidal wave coming. What do I do? And going to higher ground. And then even that statement of, I was working to become a better person, not for myself, but for him to to salvage this. But still the outcome was I was a better person. It reminds me of this story that I heard of a donkey or something stuck in a well. And it's calling out for help, calling out for help. And, and someone comes along, starts dumping dirt on him. And he's like, what are you doing? I don't need... That's not helpful at all. And and, the, yeah. and so the he steps up, like shakes it off and steps up and another shovel full of dirt comes down and shakes it off and steps up and, and progressively getting all this dirt and everything on him. But he keeps stepping up, keeps stepping up until he can step out because the hole has been filled. And I, I look at that experience for you. It's like, yeah, you had a lot of crap dumped on you. Yeah keeping stepping up. Yeah. And I really felt like I just had this, those moments where I was falling apart and just felt like I didn't have anything to me. There was also these moments of like grand power and real clarity in certain situations of like knowing exactly what to do to protect myself and my children. It was like a real life or death situation played out in this beautiful real world scene. Like it was really, I had a lot of people that came to my aid, like my now ex-husband, he ended up doing like a detox and inpatient and outpatient locally. And then eventually it moved to his job. He lost his job. (laughs) He was going to lose his pharmacy license. They were protecting it with the stipulation that he completed an out-of-state inpatient treatment center. But like the questions are like, how do you afford that? (laughs) How do I afford to continue our house payment and to provide for the kids when we had a baby? She wasn't even two yet. Like she was just turning two, um, all the way up to eight years old, four children. And I was like, I can't just like, there's no way like I could possibly afford childcare and work right. with that many children. And it's like, it just zeroes out. Right. So I just literally, you walk on a tight rope of faith and just provisions come to you. And I can't explain how life works like that, except for like, I believe in a higher power and I believe he works through humans and each other because people will just come to me in my hardest moments. In fact, I had just signed up for my first Olympic distance triathlon right before all this went down. (laughs) And my mom's like, you can't do that. You're going to have to just see if you can postpone to a different year, like drop out of the race. And I was like, you know what? Like I am doing this. I need it. I bet you needed it. Yeah. I needed something to like pour my, my energy into that was like finally for me. Yeah. What, what did both that doing something for yourself and just the mere fact that it was exercise do for your healing? It was like the best medicine that I ever could have chosen. My kids were little. So for my runs, I literally had to do loops our house backed up to this huge park. And so I'd get up early before they're awake and start running these loops, which is monotonous, mind numbing. Like I don't like circling around Mm -hmm. the same scenery, but 
that's what I would do until they'd wake up and then they'd come out on our balcony in their little jammies. And then I'd be like, okay, you go get breakfast. And then I'd finish my loops and come in and we get going with our day. And then I had a pass at Gold's Gym and I'd take them there on certain days where I do the swim and part of a bike. And then when the weather got better, my girlfriend would sometimes take my kids while I'd ride bike long. And on those long bike rides, I still remember two of them. One of them was like clear out to like Grants fill in back. And one of them was like along the Salt Lake. For context, for our listeners who may not always be in Utah, how far were these? Um, Probably like 30 mile rides, probably like a 30 mile ride. Like it was just an Olympic triathlon. So I wasn't going like that far, but like covered every square foot that I could because the road's like not awesome. It was like, but like, and it smelled. And I was like, it was going to be great riding along the lake. And I was like, this feels like my life. (laughs) This literally feels like my life. But I remember on my long ride to Grantsville and I had to stop at this like four-way stop because I like couldn't see because I just, the tears were so heavy. I remember I just bent over so I could even like breathe in because it was so heavy and like boogers and I'm blowing my nose. And I just thought, doing this, here I am. Exercising is not the hardest thing I ever did. Having somebody not want what you want or like being far away from you or like not wanting to take your phone calls or not seeing you anymore is hurting more than like, just grueling on this road, but using that and utilizing that as like my purpose of healing and to like a huge release. So I'm just like letting all these ugly tears out on the road. And then I come home and I feel calm and I'm able to like comfort my children. I'm able to then fill up their little cups and like, listen to the parts of them that are feeling sad or scared and planning We'd made these like like this ring, uh, this string of rings. And each day they wrote something they wanted to do that was special. And so we strung it up. So every day we'd tear up a new ring. I'm like, okay, we're all dressing up funny and we're going to take pictures. Or today we're making bread. Or today we're going to the mountains. Today we're going to go swimming with friends. Bless your soul. And That's awesome. That just like came to me one day. And when you have small kids, you have to make life feel magical. Mm-hmm. I didn't want, because we're going through turmoil, for them to miss childhood. Mm-hmm. Okay, you still need to be a kid. Yes, we can address the fact this is super hard. Like they understood the older two, I feel like understood their dad was struggling with addiction. They didn't understand all of what that meant, but still like planting seeds and watching our garden grow and like jumping on the trampoline and being silly and making cookies. And those things were like vital to our saving our lives right then. So what I'm hearing is, is the aspect of creativity and play were critical to your being able to manage all this pain and distress, but also the healing of you because you were you were putting a piece of yourself into your children and having purpose. Yeah. And I love that you said creativity and play because honestly, like when we pour ourselves into something else, like our brain waves kind of like move over to that capacity and we kind of forget our hurt for a minute. Mm-hmm. Because we're just like focused on other things. It's not that the hurt doesn't exist. It's just like we're not micro focused on it. Yeah. And so like we still have joy during like times of like awful pain. Pure joy. Pure joy. I remember like fast forward, my ex had come back from rehab. He had relapsed. The boundary was he wasn't allowed to come home. He came home. 
We had to leave in the middle of the night with my kids wrapped in blankets, hide, eventually moving over to my mom's house when he finally like, he, he was like going over there. So I didn't feel safe to go over there till I knew that was like my safe haven. I remember that I felt like I just wanted to stay. I wanted to stay married. <laughs> I figured like we could figure that out, but it's like all the writing was on the wall that like he wasn't there. Like all of his words would say that, right? But like all of his actions proved otherwise. And I was in total denial. And I remember like going running and just sobbing and being like, I'm between a rock and a hard spot because like, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. And I'm like, there's no fun thing for me. And I want a fun choice. Yeah. <laughs> like I've been through a lot. Like I just want a good choice. Like I want something happy. And I remembered on that run of like, I need to be neutral to be able to receive this, like for me, this answer of like, if I should divorce or not. And I stood there next to this tree and I just felt like, okay, I feel like I'm finally in a place of neutrality where I'm able to receive answers both ways. So now I feel like I'm just open. I'm open. I'm ready. It's going to be hard either way, but whatever it is, like I can do this. How did you do that? How did you get to that place of neutrality? That's hard. I don't know, Nathan. I think that people will start to understand the next step that they need to take when they're in hard things. Because living in lies and turmoil is madness. Mm-hmm. Okay, this just has to stop. Because like, maybe you guys can live like that, but I won't live like that. And like learning to set personal boundaries is really key. Yeah, so I, I'm hearing multiple things. So one of the things that I'm hearing to get to that place of neutrality was you had to accept your situation completely and all of its ugliness and all of the blah, right? You had to accept that that's what it was and accept that you couldn't keep doing that. You couldn't keep going that direction and that you had to start setting boundaries for it. Yeah. And setting boundaries with someone that's like in addiction, they're the angriest, okay? Like the scariest. Um, mm-hmm. Like they become like, like a human of rage. Like it, they're almost like an out, it's like an out of body experience that manifests in front of you. And you're just like, Oh, wow. Like, this is actually scary. I was, I was to the yeah. point where like my life was getting really scary. Like I wasn't sleeping. I'm watching the window. I'm like protecting my kids. But I remember there was like these moments where you try to be really like sweet. Oh my gosh. I just have always loved you. Let's just, let's hang out on Friday. I was like, dude, like you were ripping me to shreds yesterday. Like, do you even recall? So I just was stuck in this. There's this place where women get stuck in confusion, total confusion with a partner like that, because I was remembering all these like really good moments, but I was like, wait, it was like, they were like this big compared to like, and it would give me enough to just be like, okay, thank you so much. I can keep going. I'm like, that's not fair. That's not enough. That's not a partnership. And I remember him telling me, like, right. you're giving up on our marriage when I finally told him, like, we're just heading in different directions. Like our paths will never intersect again. And like that clarity was just made manifest to me later. And I was like, oh, that makes total sense. I'll, I'm just going to tell him that. Like, it's going to make sense to him. <laughs> and he's just like, screw <laughs> you. You're never going to be with our kids. Like all of these threats and ugly things. But for me, like, I knew that was true. And I remember when things are bad, you just think like everything's been bad. 
And I remember like walking past my mom's office, we're living at her house. And I just felt this really strong pull to like go in there. I'm like, I'm not doing it. No, (laughs) I am tired of something else always telling me what like manifesting to me these things. Like, I just want to live a day that's like so vanilla. Okay. (laughs) I just want to lay by the pool and my kids are playing in the water. And I just want to just drink cold water. Like I just want to live the most boring day, but it was like, we're like at this heightened state of like every moment counts. And I ended up going in that office and I picked up the stack of pictures and I'm flipping through and it's pictures I had sent to my mom when we lived in Nebraska, when my ex was in grad school. And it was like, I would have identified that as like the happiest year of my entire life. My son was learning to ride a bike. I had just ran the St. George marathon And then we had a little, I was pregnant at the time. I didn't even know, but then we had our third child and she was just, she was born in June and June's the most beautiful month in Nebraska. Like the fireflies are out. We're doing things outside. My husband's almost graduated from pharmacy school. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. We have these incredible friends. We've made it through really hard things. And I would say like, this was the best year of my life. I was so happy. I was so happy to have that baby. I was so happy that I was out doing the things that I love and meeting people and connecting and that we had overcome really hard things I thought together. And then later that day, I'm on our computer and like this history comes up of like this huge, like internet history of things that my ex-husband had been involved in. And that like exact time during that exact year came up and he was just off in another world living in his la land of addiction. And I was like, Whoa, I could have told you like, that was the best year of our marriage for me. That was the best year of our marriage. And he was like completely unfocused. And I was like, oh, that you're right. Voice God for me, piece of evidence that Mm -hmm. I needed to see to give me clarity. Like, yes, I can let that be the perfect year for me still. Like at first, like you catastrophize and everything's ugly and all of it's bad. And he was a loser. And he screwed me. And then later on, you realize like, you're able to sort through all the rubble and you're like, Hey, this is my treasure. And I'm keeping this for me. That was the best year of my life. The best. I love that. That's so important. Right. Like that idea of like, sometimes we allow the ugly and the bad and the hurt to taint everything. And not everything is bad. And to be able to hold on to there is days, even if they're seconds long, right? There is good and beauty and to be able to hold on to the positivity of the memory and not let it be tainted by all the ugly. Yeah. And moving through that phase of like, I was telling my girlfriends, because I mean, all these people come to you after you go through it and they're like, what do I do next? And you meet all these people who've gone through it. and You're like, what do I do next? And at first it's just really ugly. It's really ugly. People fall away from like almost everything they've known is true in their life to be able to sort it all out and then put it back in bento boxes, right? And just organize it all out. But there was that point where I was like, I have happy memories, even though I lived through a hard situation. Like those are my joys and I'm get to I get to keep those forever. And like no one has control over that for me. I get to have those. But it takes some sorting. <laughs> That's cool. So, you know, through this whole process, I mean, you've you've talked about a lot of 
of aspects of your healing. And was there someone that was kind of helping you or guiding you along in that healing process and kind of teaching you or, or helping you or anyway? So I'll just start kind of early. Like I, early on, I had tried to go to like an AA group and all of the outcomes were bad. People's spouses were dying. And I was like, this is not the best support group for me. Like, I'm sure there's other groups where like there's great outcomes or better support, but I was like, I don't want to know, like my marriage is going to end. I don't want to know, like my husband's going to die. Like, even though like all of those were feasible, like I needed more hope than that. So I started meeting with different therapists and I was like, I remember telling a girlfriend later, like, I didn't know if it was working. And if you don't know if it's working, it's not, <laughs> it's not, yep. um, but yep. all of them gave me a piece of truth. And one of them was like, um, she invited my ex-husband to come. And he showed up really late and he was really high and everyone else in our world, he fooled, right? I knew, but she knew because she was familiar with that. And at our next appointment, she's like, wow. And I was like, wow, what? She's like, whoa, he couldn't even make a sentence. I was like, oh my gosh, like you noticed, like she was the first person that's ever noticed. Everyone else is like, gosh, could Crystal let you take a nap once in a while? Gosh, all you wanted was a hamburger. Like, that's just not fair that, and I was like, you don't know. Fed into the manipulation. Yeah. Like you're using people against me and I'm trying to protect you. Mm-hmm. Like I'm helping you and you're like right. using me to help you get what you want. So I had that therapist. And then when he went to his addiction recovery program, I met the spiritual guidance counselor and I was over at my girlfriend's house, helping her clean out her pantry. Like she'd been serving my family so much. I'm like, I just want to do something for you. I'm just going to clean your pantry. She's a big cook. She had flour, sugar everywhere. And I remember this lady called me and she's like, Hey, Crystal, this is so-and-so from Hazelden Springbrook. Just wanted to have a chance to meet you. And I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, And then we got into this conversation of, she's like, oh, like, so you'll probably say this. And then he says this, and then you feel like this. And I was like, like for the first time ever, Nathan, I was like, somebody gets me like someone gets how this feels and like the predicament I'm in and where I feel like I'm at and how like I'm at a loss for words and like, I don't know where to go next and like how painful it is and how unfair it is and manipulative, how hurtful. And I just remember telling her, where do I find someone like you here? Like I, like, I'm so thirsty for that. I just want to like, just pour it down my throat and that's all drink. And I just sat in that pantry on like a bucket and I just bawled. Mm -hmm. It was like the whole world opened up for me, Nathan. I was like, oh my gosh. So in psychological terms, that's called an empathetic witness. And it is a crucial component of healing. Have someone genuinely hear you and see you for what you're going through. So huge. So she lined me up with this therapist who was the addiction recovery specialist in like this air. They they brought him in from California to help like this area in Utah. And he was fantastic. And guess what? He asked me hard stuff. Do you love Craig? And I was like, does love have anything to do with this? Like, are you attracted to him? Do you want to be married to him? I'm like, 
why would I ask those questions if I'm like, we're doing CPR? Like, do you see me? I'm doing CPR. Right. Like, it's not about that, is it? Yeah. And But it really got me thinking, like, Crystal, like, how do you feel? Like, what about you? And he taught me to really have some, like, really kind empathy for myself and where I was really at in a really honest way. Yeah. And I had formulated these 10 questions I wanted to ask him about like truths in our marriage are really hard to ask. And he, of course, said it was the most unfair thing he'd ever heard. And I was manipulating him, but it's like, depending on these answers, I don't know if I want to stay married because like I have lived a lie for almost 10 years. That's unfair. So fast forward, even after that, I moved down to Provo and had this fantastic therapist, Nathan Gibbons. He worked at LDS Family Services and he had a gift. Some people, they're just great at their careers. They're fantastic. But then there's people who are great at their careers and like gifted with their careers. And he was a healer for me. Um, He really saw me. And like throughout the week, he'd like put together things and be like, okay, when I saw this and I heard this, I thought of you, let's play this out. Um, and then people who are healers in your life tell you specific things that you like keep with you. And it's like, what would you call it? Like a paradigm shift, a complete paradigm shift. So I'm thinking like, how do I be loving towards somebody and kind and quote unquote, Christ-like while they're hurting you? And Nathan right. Gibbons was like, Crystal, like you can forgive this human because like forgiveness provides like great healing for us He's like, but to forget what he's done would be like cruelty to yourself because like you can't be close with him. That's toxic. Like, look at these things that he does. So like being able to separate that out, I didn't see it separate. I saw it together. And he was able to like separate that out. And I was like, oh my gosh, those can coexist. Like that's paradoxically true. Like they can coexist. Like I can be kind and forgive and never trust this human again in a place where like is intimate for me. Like I can keep transactional and that's still loving. That's super important. So as you're having this realization of like, I can forgive that and that forgiving doesn't mean that I have to jump all in and have it be sweet and nice and trusting. How did, how did that transform you moving forward in your healing process? I would say that's when I like took my power back. That's when I was like, like when my ex relapsed in rehab and didn't come home and it was like a huge blow. I mean, like I was two feet in, was always two feet in, but I sat down with a friend and learned about boundaries. And I wrote up this like contract, like to be able to come home, you need to like come home and you say you're going to come home to be able to come home. Like you need to like be able to engage and to be honest and be a financial contributor and all of these things that were just really basic, but important. And he was, I read about that fast forward. As I was holding my, you know, that was like the initial learning how to boundary set, um, which they had taught me at family days in this rehab place. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, you know, this isn't going to go over. Well, right? Like, are you on his side or my side? <laughs> 
fast forward, it was like, not about learning how to set boundaries, but about being more intuitive. Like, this is where I show up. This is where I don't show up. Like, I don't get to choose where you're at, but I get to choose like where my safe boundaries are. There was a day where we're, we were exchanging kids or something. And he was just like banging on the windows of my car and just like completely losing his mind in front of the kids. And I was like, just drive away. And I did just drove away. I don't know why it's really tempting in the beginning to like engage with that. Cause you feel like you'll be able to heal that and you'll be able to kind of soothe it over and make it look pretty, especially in front of the kids. But there was a time when I was like, he gets to choose how he acts, but we get to choose how we live. And yeah. like that, we pull away. Like we get to go to our safe places. There's so much to this process and, and that coming to a place of healing. What were the what were the key things that allowed you to become crystal again, to, to feel more whole? So I felt like when God told me like go to higher ground, that was like a huge spiritual component for me. I was in this place of kind of like spiritual progression of like being able to handle the blow of something like this. That was kind of a spiritual agreement. We'd been married in this like holy temple. We made all these promises, but it was like, you're going to have like a huge spiritual blow. You did A, B and C didn't happen. And you were raised to think like, if you do A and B, C happens. Well, no, it doesn't. C doesn't always happen. There's D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, And it's like, okay. So I handled that. But then there was like this huge emotional piece. That it was like, I just felt so broken. And at first, like, I was just so like on guard and alert that like my emotions left me. I remember my mom grows these zinnia flowers and they get so tall. If you sit on a bench outside our house, they're over your head and all like the bees are just swarming around you. And it's just, you feel like you're just like lost in these gorgeous flowers and the sun's there. I remember sitting on that bench. It's almost like the healing bench. (laughs) Go out there and just be in nature. And my kids are so cute and they're playing all around. And I remember looking at those bees and touching a flower and thinking, I want to feel the joy of what they're feeling right now. And I feel blank like I want. Because when my other kids were little, my older ones, I was so present and there and like enjoying the moments with them and like absorbing it that I like longed for that. And I didn't know why I couldn't have that at that moment. It was just part of the process. Mm -hmm. I knew that I would probably get my emotions back, but I just wanted them so bad when my little baby was two, like their little baby was four. And I just wanted to feel all of like the joy of them playing in the yard and the joy of them finding a butterfly and they're capturing grasshoppers and all the cute things that they're doing. But I remember that I had hope that it would come back because I believe all things can be restored. So that's what I work towards is like my emotional healing was I want to feel again. I want to feel the whole gamut of everything. Um, Because when you overfill, your body kind of shuts down. It's like, okay, we don't feel it anymore. (laughs) Need a break from feeling for a while. And I remember the first time I cried again. I mean, it was months, months. And I was sitting in church and some gal was 
sharing this personal story. And finally it just like gushed out. And I was like, I'm healing. And it's just like these little mile points of like, okay, there's a destination. Like I can look back and, and I can see healing and my people that like this place where I moved, I remember feeling so inspired, Nathan, to stand up and say, hi, my name's Crystal. I had to run away from my husband in the middle of the night with my kids wrapped in blankets. I'm divorced. He struggled with addiction. I'm really scared. I'm living with my mom. (laughs) I need friends. Help. And sat down and I was like, what What was that? That is so important, right? That asking for help, being vulnerable and being real and asking for help. Ultimate vulnerability. And that's kind of what like, all of that process before it taught me is like, you need to say something if you need something. Yeah. And that night somebody came by my house and just sat with me and they're like, I get it. I get it. And we just sat and we just held each other. And to this day, we're like the dearest friends and people just came in droves, Nathan. And they came in and they created this like circle around our family of protection Like I was in the safest place there, even though I was going through the hardest things, the scariest things possible. Any one of those people would have done anything for me and my kids. And they did. Yeah, they did. That's so awesome. I talk to my friends about a fertile ground to heal. Like that created my vulnerability, helped me set the stage for a fertile ground to heal. Like, okay, you guys know what I'm going through right now. Now it's your choice to be like, here, let us just like help you grow. It's beautiful. And throughout my entire life, I lived there for seven years. Like that's a whole different story, but it was the safest place for us to be. So that's where we stayed. And I was raising my kids and keeping them in the same neighborhood. But those people, they were always there. Like we're so close. And they would always be like, okay, what's next? Who are you dating? What's going on? You know, like always just catch me up. And when humans share deeply, like we are connected dramatically, like to this day, like I ran into a girlfriend yesterday at Trader Joe's, we just held each other yeah, because we saw each other through that time. Yeah. That's so powerful. People came to me with very vulnerabilities too. Like, this is what's been hard for me for this many years. This is what happened to me. Did you know I was married? My own kids didn't know I was married before this. I was an abusive marriage. Like... Um, do you know I was married to a bishop, an abusive bishop? I mean, just like story after story after story. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful when we can share and just hold each other in safety and be like, look where we are now. Look how far we've come. Like, you know, when you're running a race and you're just like, I'm dying. And I remember running the St. George Marathon and thinking this like at mile, maybe 18 or 20. And I looked behind me and there's just these like hills of people. For miles, as far as you can see, behind you. They're ahead of you too. But you look behind you and you think, I've come so far. And they're on their journey too. And we're all in this together. Like, we've got this. I've got this. Look at all of us. We have this. <laughs> and it gives you confidence. That's so awesome. You know, like, there's your story is so powerful, right? Like, ugly, hard, terrible, ugh, right? You don't even want to remember it but you do because you can see just like you're saying looking back look how far i've come like i had to slog through all that crap and look what i have become look how i've healed 
And just because you've healed doesn't mean that hard things are going to stop happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, I want to transition a little bit because in several years later, you're now in a, in a dating relationship with a wonderful guy yeah. right? who, who, who does all the things that you love to do. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're joy, enjoying this relationship. Uh, Tiankum's a, a beautiful man, right? Like he's just a wonderful guy. And so he takes you to the Tetons, go on this awesome hiking experience. Tell us a little bit about how that went down. So you were asking earlier, like, what, what did I do to heal? One thing that I always did to heal Nathan is like, I went to the mountains. Like that was my place. I went to the mountains. I would go as high as I could go. I would cry out all my tears. I talked to God. I would like connect with nature and I would come home like different. Um, when I worked at Telos, you remember Carl, he's like, Crystal, I want to give you your spirit animal. And I was like, all right. Carl didn't really know that much about me. Guess what my spirit animal is? The white mountain goat. And in it, it said, you need to trust your footing. You can stand on one square inch of solid ground and you can trust that you can land on your feet and you need to let go of all that mom guilt too. That was another thing you said that was really impactful. Moving forward, Tiankum and I met because we just kept passing each other in the mountains We'd see each other at work and he'd post things like he was at Coochie Stronghold. I'm like, where's that gorgeous rock place? I need to go there. I was just thirsty to go to all these places and find all these people that went where I like to go. So we started hiking and then he took me to the Grand Teton. We summited the Grand. And then the following year, we were going to do Mount Owen. And then two days later, take our good friends up to the Grand Teton. Um, Tiagam was training to do the Grand Traverse in 24 hours. So I'm like, if you can get me to the top of one of these peaks and I know the route, I can come up there and bring you sandwich or water. <laughs> and we're thinking like, let's try Mount Owen. So we're going up to the top of there. You, you switch back up, you get to these gorgeous Alpine lakes. Like that's most people's destination. Like it's, they're stunning. It's the bluest blue and the greenest green and the gorgeous sky. And there was huckleberries out and it just kind of smelled like berries in the air. And I just remember thinking like, if I take a day off of work, which I did, this is exactly what I want to do. This is like the perfect day for me. And then you kind of come up over this crest and we had a kind of trail find for a minute there because there's like this cliff area. You come down the side of this mountain and then you're in this huge glacial basin and we rock hopped and glacier across for three hours. It's a long way across. So we're probably five or six hours in and I'm we're standing on these rocks. We're drinking glacial water out of these like shoots of water. And I'm just like, this, this is the perfect day. And I remember looking back, Nathan, like after I fell and thinking like, it was still a perfect day for me. Like nothing could take this from me. I had the perfect day up until I fell. <laughs> so we go up the side of this area and the scree is just really loose. I stepped on this rock and it all of a sudden just like went out from under me and disappeared under this glacier. And I was like, oh my gosh, babe, like this is like, this is a messy route. He's like, yeah, the snows come down further than we thought. Like we had, we had our ice axes, we had crampons, we had all of our climbing gear. We're ready to mountaineer when we got up there. We didn't, you don't always know what the conditions will be like when you get up there. You just take your equipment and you kind of see if you can even get to the peak. You don't even know if you will on something like that. So we're going up 
And there's a section you free climb. It's like a five, four section. So basically I tell people it's like a trail runner fell on AstroTurf <laughs> on a non-training day. So it's like in the climbing world, like they start babies on like five fives and five, four is just like, just past scrambling. So I'm like, you know, and it's vertical, but you have like great hand holds, great footholds. We've done this a lot of times. I have on my little backpack. We had just stopped for a little snack, drank water. We're feeling great. Like Nathan, I'm a super inspired person. Like I had zero inclination that what I was about to do was severely dangerous for me in that moment. Like something catastrophic is going to happen for me. And I'm heading up. Tia comes ahead of me, kind of leading the way. And I'm just following. And there's this part where there's there's this mantle. And I was like, oh this is so good. This huge ledge, it's like an entire shelf. So I like have my left hand on this rock right above it. And I hill hook on my left and mantle up with my right hand. And all of a sudden this left hand, as I get higher, my hand comes off. It becomes a bad hold. So the hold was good as I was down lower, but as I came up higher, there was nothing to it. And I remember my only touch point was my right foot. And I have a backpack on. And I was like, I was fighting it. I was like, I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to fall. So I was like grabbing with my left, grabbed with my right, and then said some bad words. And I turned around and I faced out to like see where I was falling. So I like pivoted in the air. And Tiankum looked down and watched me fall, hit on my bottom, and then slide for like, I don't know, like I probably fell 25, 30 feet slid like another 15 feet and then flipped over on my face. Like the momentum was just so, <laughs> um, and as I'm falling, cause I studied exercise science, I know the human body really well. I'm like, I will never run again. Right. Running like, and in the mountains was like my healing. So I was like, Oh no, my best favorite thing in a way. Like I connect the closest to my maker. Like I'm not, ever gonna have that again I know what will happen I will probably shatter my pelvis and break both of my femurs in half I know it's gonna happen right and they be paralyzed so I fall slide flip over Tiagum rushes over to me and I was like oh my gosh I can feel my feet like I was wiggling my toes I'm like oh my gosh I can feel my feet but then I was like okay I'm not moving I'm not gonna shift anything like Something's got to be shattered in there. Like I'm not moving it, but I had a rock like lodged under my rib cage right up under here. So every time I had to breathe, I had to find footing with my feet and we're on scree and I'm still kind of sliding a little bit. So I'm trying to get on this scree that's sliding and like push up so I can be like, and I hurt. So I ended up later, like fast forward, I ended up my diagnosis that I burst fractured T9, T12, broke my sacrum scrambled my coccyx just like my tailbone was just really messed up and then later on found out that I had a concussion I didn't know in the hospital immediately but that didn't hurt compared to like when your body impacts the earth like that like it literally like one time I was on center street and I heard a car accident two cars like that's what I heard in my ears when I hit planet earth I shattered I shattered and I was like that was so loud and for days like your brain replays that in your mind yeah. and 
really weird psychological thing that your brain does. Like, let's relive this like 1 billion times. Totally. Which is weird because it's part of the healing process. And I don't really know why, but it's like really necessary because everybody that goes through trauma, like it replays a lot in the beginning. And then over time it starts to minimize. And that's when, you know, like the healing's starting. So I'm laying there and Tiangum's like, what do we do? And I was like, we need to pray because I know that we can have the best case scenario for the worst possible outcome. I know that this can be better than it would be like if we show our faith in something, if I just exercise that, if I just practice, I know it can be better than it should be. Yeah. I'm wrecked. I can feel it. (laughs) But like, I am like a total believer that like it can be better than it would have been. Yeah. Oh, he prays. And then like, we try to call 911. We have no service. He's like, Hey, I got to go free climb this mountain, traverse over free climb another section, traverse over to even get service. And, and he leaves me. And I was just like, first of all, you like make deathbed repentance. You're like, I'm so sorry. I have not been a good listener. I'm not calling my mom enough. Like I will, I promise I'll visit my neighbors more. Why am I still doing this? dead end job. Like it's not even what I studied. Like I just, you know, like all of these questions about where you are, just like, they just come up and like, you're talking out loud to like the maker of your universe. Like, and all of a sudden, like all those other things that mattered, they're gone. It's just like, you have this like really very clear moment. Like I was not knocked out. I was like very clearly talking to my God. And I looked at my phone and I was like, Siri, call 911. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, damn you, Verizon. <laughs> I was like, I'm in so much pain. And I was trying so hard. Like the pain of your tissue tearing hurts worse than the bone pain. Like every inch of my like sinews had torn, you know, like I'm like, impacting the earth. Like I'm just between every little rib every little nodule my bottom had hit the earth had a huge hematoma I had blood running down my legs and I'm trying to be calm and collected because the minute you aren't you start screaming and you get in this like panic and then you can't even breathe and then if you can't breathe like the pain's worse right so I'm just trying to calm myself down and I'm like okay I don't know if they'll find me I don't know how long I'll be here in my pain. I don't actually know if I'll make it out of here, but I think I can or will, hopefully. I'm pretty sure I'm too broken to walk out. I really need help and I'm alone. So I prayed, I'm like, God, like I know you have people that watch out for me. Like I felt like presence of guardian angels before, like my own family on the other side, like with me and like, can you just send me an angel? <laughs> like, I know we're up here alone. It's, you know, there are parties, but like, I'm alone. Like, I don't want to be alone. And I'm laying in this tuft of grass that mind you, when I felt a spider went crazy in it and I was still bothered by it. I was like, get it out of my face. Like I'm laying on the, I just fallen off a mountain. And I was like, get away. 
<laughs> the last thing you need is a spider crawling all over yeah. your face. <laughs> like, I had like upset its little nest. And this tuft of grass is like by my face right here. I'm like laying in the dirt. And all of a sudden this little hummingbird comes and just lands in the grass. I'm like, oh, hi. Hey, what are you doing up here, little guy? Like no hummingbirds are up here. There's not even enough for you to eat. There's like hardly any flowers. And he just sat there with me. And then he would leave. He'd fly back and sit with me. And that was my little angel. And I'm like such a believer that God speaks to you in the ways that you hear. Because like personally for me, like I connect with nature and I see miraculous things there. Like my mind is open to nature and that's where I feel like true connection. And so for God to send me a hummingbird was like even more symbolic than sending like a human on two legs. Yeah. A great deal to me. So Tangum comes back, the rescuers find me. They haul me out suspended in the air on this helicopter. And I was really thankful for those rescuers, Nathan. Like they, like when people come to your rescue, like all of my friends that have come to my rescue, all these acquaintances that have known me, these therapists, these angels in my life, this little hummingbird, they're just like cool with what they're doing. Like, yeah, this is what I do. Like, of course, like it's no sweat for them. But for me, when those rescuers showed up, I'm like, do you even know? Like you are a sign that I'm going to be okay and that I'm safe. And that I can, like, I can completely trust your judgment and your skill and what you know. And they moved so smoothly. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were so good at, like, calming me. Tiangum jumped right in. It's like he knew what he was doing. I was like, you should be doing this. <laughs> Their expertise was amazing. I just remember thanking them a lot. And they just, like, really brushed it off. But I was like, like, I want to find you and tell you, like, you saved my life. Tiank, I'm like, he's the only one I was with that day. I wasn't alone. Like, he saved my life. A lot of people along the way, they actually do save your life. And they would just brush it off as like, no big deal. But like, we save people's lives too. Like, I'm sure that in the menial, reaching out and texting someone or like complimenting someone or asking about their day or like being an actual good listener or serving someone and what I would consider an insignificant way was like actually a lifeline to them. These people have all been lifelines to me. So we get to the hospital and all these crazy stories happen. Like they're understaffed. It's three quarters of the way through the pandemic. Like things were really ugly. And this like Tiankam and I are not married and the nurse, she's just like in a tizzy. Like I get transferred from the ER to the floor and I was like, okay, like I asked for my pain meds. Like I just fell off a mountain today, a few hours ago. It's been eight hours. Like oh. I'm really hurting. They, they were so understaffed. Like people had walked out. She was the charge nurse. She was in charge. And in her panic, she throws these like gauze panties. Like after women have babies, they put this, yeah. on, this giant pillow of a pad in. I tank them and she's like, here, put these on her. <laughs> you're like it's like yeah my pain things are awful and i'm just like i think this is so funny <laughs> i was like hey baby you heard her put it on me <laughs> he's like what are these i was like disposables <laughs> okay <laughs> so he's putting them on me and he's like have you seen your butt 
And I was like, no. So he turns me in the mirror and it's like swollen inches out. I look like a Kardashian girl. I was like, dang. <laughs> Actually looks kind of good. Because huh? it wasn't like totally black yet. <laughs> it turned black later. But I was like, oh my gosh, no wonder her so bad to sit down. Like I'm wrecked. Yeah. So just some funny things happened in the hospital, but Tiankum was by my side. And honestly, like we were just dating. Mm-hmm. Okay, like in one day, all of a sudden I can't work. I'm a single mom with four kids. I am the guardian slash provider for them. And I'm dating someone like I really like him. So just like I'd wake up in the hospital and he was just there. But over the course of the next few months, and I remember having this talk with him, like, hey, this is the deal. It's none of my business to like keep you here. Like if you need to go, like I get it. Like I'll be crushed totally. But like you get to choose. Like I'm giving you the chance to choose to either like ride this wave out with me or to like go be you. And I thought that like I knew there was a huge chance it would just take off. I knew that was viable. And he didn't. He just chose to stay. And that was like so huge for me because I didn't understand that he was a person of like deep loyalty because he's always just been like connected with mother earth, a real climber traveling all over the world to do these things and taking like big chunks of time off. And I'm thinking like, well, he certainly couldn't be loyal. Right. Like, no, like loyalty is one of his greatest attributes. What an aspect of healing for you. Like, as I'm thinking about this, like, to go from what you experienced with your first husband of absolute disloyalty and not putting you first, not being there when you needed to have someone who you're only dating to have to like completely take care of you, watch over. I mean, take you to the bathroom, wipe your butt, you know, kind of stuff. What a transformative aspect of healing to know that you are worth it. You have value. You deserve that. Ethan, that was huge because like when you go through such hard things like that, you subconsciously start devaluing your needs. Like you'll always meet everyone else's because they're, of course, they're worth it. Like people are worth it. They're born with innate worth. Like we don't earn that. We are that. But then Mm -hmm. you don't live that privilege within yourself. You're like, I'm disposable because I was disposed over and over. And that was the message that was sent is that I'm disposable. And then to have someone just keep showing up. Like he never said, like, I'm not going anywhere. All of my previous boyfriends, my ex-husband, it was always about the words well, I'm the best thing you'll ever meet. I'm the greatest guy you've ever had. And like Tiankum's never said that because he would never have to. Because if you are that, you never have to say that. He just is. And the message that sent to me is like, hey, I value this. Like maybe more than I knew he did. Like I know that I was like putting my energy into it, but it was my turn to see him like put his energy back into, into it. And it really just showed me like, he loves this just as much as I do. (laughs) This is awesome. And it felt really good to have someone show up for me, Nathan, and not need to say, hey, do you notice I'm showing up for you? It wasn't about ego. It was about love. Like real love. 
the thing that I've always loved about him is that he just shows up who he is and he's like fine with me. And I was like, how does he do that? That is so attractive. Like that's almost the most attractive thing in the whole world is that it's just him. And he's a specimen of a guy too. Yeah. And people <laughs> thought me, like, do you know how much I've admired him for 20 years? Like, do you know he's the hardest climber we've ever seen? You know, yeah. like he's famous to everyone else. And he's just like, hey, I'm just getting fat and old. Like, that's what mm-hmm. he says. Like, can you stop saying that? That's manifesting and you shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so having all that, like, sense of security from having someone who genuinely is caring for you, not because that's the right thing to do, but because you're worth it, right? To have that sense of calm and assurance kind of helped you move into that place of, I can securely heal now in my brokenness. What are some other elements that really made a difference for you in that physical, but also emotional healing of the fall? Um, so it was when I got home, like my kid. So the very next Monday, my kid started school. It was just like the timing, like the universe is hilarious. Right. I was like impeccable. Of course, like of course it happened like this. Um, I'm glad we all have a sense of humor, (laughs) but Mike's husband like stepped it up and almost I don't even know if he wants to be on or off the record, but like, I felt like Nathan for like the first time ever, he like said, like, I got this. Wow. Like I've needed you to do this for the kids. Like not for me, but like for them to show them that you could show up for a decade. And it was huge for them to feel like dad's like taking us to get our backpacks. Dad's like concerned if things are good over here too, not just like over there. It was huge and it like relieved a huge burden for me because like I couldn't literally do anything, but they needed all the time. Mom was the one, you know, through all of this, like I was the one who always had to be there. I told, I think it was Rachel Parrish. I was like, is this what a mom has to do for a nap? (laughs) Like you got to fall off a mountain. (laughs) Come on. I'm finally getting some rest around here. Because it was like, I was just holding up the whole world in my hands. And finally, I could just set it down and just be. And I had people that visited me and just, they just sat with me. It was like a holy place, Nathan. Like them just being there and corresponding with me was so healing. And then the release ID present in my ward, I was like, you provided home help for me (laughs) because these women volunteer like, One person's like, I got Monday. One person's like, I got Tuesday. And someone's like, I got Wednesday, I got Thursday. So five days a week, I had people lined up that would come in in the morning. A friend would come over who was a nurse, give me my shot because I was on blood thinners. The next person would come, make sure my kids were out the door. Help me do the dishes, vacuum, laundry. Get me my ice packs. Help me to the shower. Get me all situated. And then they would just talk to me. Because when you have like such a severe TBI, like you don't watch TV, you don't have lights or a lot of sounds. Like, what do you do to pass the time? Like, I can't read books. I couldn't even see straight. So having people sit there and just talk with me 
for me, like that just made me feel so safe. And it a hundred percent was my antidote. hundred percent. Just people showing up, not just showing up and, and wiping down my counters, showing up and like connecting with me and like hearing my concerns. That was very healing. And then as we moved forward, I started some speech therapy and met with a gal and I had six physical therapists, Nathan, six. Of course you did. You were shattered. I didn't have surgery, which was miraculous. Also very miraculous. The doctors really thought I would, but another blessing because I remember praying and I felt like they changed the outcome because they said, we'll be moving you to surgery tonight. And then they re-looked at the scans and they're like, actually like, we're just going to watch your back. Like it's burst fractured, but it's 15%. We thought it was like 60%, but it's like less than we thought it was. And it's like not impacting the spinal cord. And, and I was just like, what? It's like, you just changed what, like it was a complete shift. Okay. That's awesome. The best news of my life. Can I have blueberry pancakes, please? (laughs) But then fast forward, they were like, there's not a lot we can do for your back. That's it. So they sent me to physical therapy and I remember meeting with a gal there and she's like, Hey, you just say, you know, like we've never met with anyone like you. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, Crystal, do you understand? Like you were this close to getting paralyzed and she holds her fingers in this like little teeny circle. And I was like, Oh, she's like, yeah, like everyone like you, they never walk again. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I like needed you to tell me that. Yeah. So that I understood like the miracle that I am because I'm wrecked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm I'm thinking every day like wanting to be be in a place of more progress than where I was at, you know. So it really put it in perspective to me like just grant yourself more time, grant yourself more love, grant yourself more more rest. Yeah. And I met with this speech language pathologist because um, when you fall and have a TBI, it messes with your processing speed and she's educated. Yeah. So Nathan, I work with students with information processing challenges. Mm-hmm. I understand how you feel now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of beautiful that I get to take a step into this place to really see how you feel every day. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. Um, So that gave me like greater empathy. And then also the same things I'm telling those students, you need to advocate for your personal needs. (laughs) I needed to do that. My girlfriend who was the therapist was like, Crystal, would people be offended if you're like, Hey, you're kind of backlit. Do you mind like just moving over or like, can we turn the lights down or like close the blinds? Like, would they care? And I was like, no. She's like, so can you ask that? I'm like, no. <laughs> so I was like, I had to learn how to like actually say those words. Like I could think those things, Nathan, but like turning them into words is really different for me to like say something that I felt like, well, we don't need to worry about me right now. Let's worry about you. And it's like, no, like I'm to worry about Crystal a little bit. And having the courage to believe that you matter. Right. Having the courage to get out there and say, this is what I need. So that, that can be really scary, especially coming from a past of like, when you're saying what you need, it's shoved in your face and told you you're crazy. Yeah. And to, to be able to now get to this place of like, 
Crystal, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. For the first time, like, and I had to, you know, or like my need wasn't met. And so I was kind of put in, into this place of like this, let's illuminate this crystal. This needs to be addressed. Like I was talking to you about healing and it's like, oh, new things are illuminated all the time. And you gave me that great advice. That's okay. We don't have to fix it in one day. We just start on the process. And that just feels better and healthier and happier and safer than like, let's do it all at once. But that speech language pathologist was really integral in teaching me to advocate for myself, Nathan. And like you said, just be, be okay to not be okay. And when I fell, I think I told you this before, I was like, I'll be back to work in two weeks. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. I mean, it was like, I think a month and a half before I could drive my car. And then I had like bouts of vertigo again. So then I couldn't drive again. And I was like, now I see <laughs> this is very hard to lose your capacity to exercise your personal freedoms and to be more reliant on other people, which brings into my thoughts, my son who could drive. And I was a little afraid of his driving in 16. <laughs> he was driving me everywhere. It was really hard for me not to be in the mountains. And I did all these like little baby steps. Like I'd walk around the house in my walker. And then at night, like Tiangam would take me on these little walks. Like at first I went to the edge of the driveway and back a couple times. And then I got to where I could like walk with help. But I had to go at night when it was not hot. And when it was when there was no light, because <laughs> I was so concussed, I was so sick. Um, so I was making like for me, I was like still doing hard things. Like I was doing hard things every day. Like if you compare that to like my exercise in the mountains, like me meeting God in the mountains, I was just meeting Him in a different place. But I longed for these certain areas that I'd run to. Like there's this one spot. It's like a single track of Battle Creek. And it's just like this switchgrass. And you're just like, I'm in heaven. It's the epitome of like, every time I get there, it's just like, life is perfect right now in this very moment. And I would just picture that all the time. I'm like, I will know that I'm making progress. And someday, like I can go into that single track again and just walk through it. But like, I have to get good enough to get there. And I remember the first day Tiankum took me in the mountains, like it was probably risky for me. Like I went up Grove Creek and I had poles, but I was so concussed that like everything was like moving still. And I really was super reliant on these poles. And I got to this spot and it like literally looked like the place where I fell. And I was like, oh, Mother Earth and I have some issues. You know, <laughs> yeah, the trauma triggers, right? It was crazy. I was like really frozen and I kind of like touched the rock and I was like, oh, you're really hard. <laughs> you know how hard rock is really hard. And it was crazy because it's one of the first times we had kind of an ill run in me and Mother Nature. I was like, there's some real healing that needs to happen here because her and I are really tight. <laughs> and then a few months later, I told my son, I was like, 
do you want to come to the mountains with me? I'm, I'm pretty slow, but like, I really need someone to come with me. I can't trust myself by myself because if anything happened, like I couldn't get myself out. He's really patient. Sure, mom. So I had my poles and my shorts and my little ball cap and it was cooling off. It was like late fall. And I was like, I just have to see it before these leaves are gone. <laughs> it kills me. And we made it to that spot, Nathan. And I always love that spot. But in that moment, it was like particles of just vibration was just going through me. I did it. Like, I didn't even know I was good enough to do this thing. I'm here. I made it to my milestone, which was a really hard milestone. And I'm in my place. And I'm with my son, who's like, now one of my caretakers, you know, really taking it slow. I'm like, apologize, you know, sorry, mom, it's okay. Like, I'm here. I'm just here. Like, we're here for the experience. I'm here for the ride. And, and it was a, it was great that he was okay with me where I was at. Like he could just be there and be present with me. And I was really thankful for my kids in this journey because, okay, number one, it rocked their worlds because when I was at work, they couldn't just eat Doritos and watch TV and lie and say they were doing their homework. <laughs> but also like mom's back. It was so weird to have mom back. I was like, how is your school? Let's, why don't you sit by me? And like, you can work through your math with me. And like, why don't we include each other in this process and journey? And it was almost like uncomfortable for them in the beginning. And almost like, can we trust that this will last? How long will she be here? Can we be okay with that? And it was beautiful though. I was like, I'm finally with my kids. Like they survived the pandemic without me. And it was rough on them. (laughs) And they had a lot of stuff they're still working through, but all of a sudden we were just like a family and they were there to just love on me. And I was just, I was stuck on the couch, Nathan. I couldn't be like, I'm going to be in the mountains or like, I'll be in the yard or like, let's paint the house. It was like, no, like we're going to snuggle. <laughs> That's all we can do. <laughs> so it's very healing. Like human touch has the power to heal so deeply their gentle touch and like their bodies against mine, just like it can heal. I don't even know anything that's more healing than that. I know everybody's got their like love languages and stuff, but like touch and time, like that's everything I was gifted in that falling your world falls apart, but also like it's made because it's like, I'm going to give you everything you've been asking me for right now. It's interesting. Cause I mean, the biggest connection that I'm getting as I listen to this is just one of the most important ingredients to your healing process and both all the crap with your ex-husband and this fall is the critical ingredient of love. And it's a real raw love, you know, in, in all its different forms through acts of service, through physical touch, through quality time, you know, whatever it might be over and over and over again, I'm, I'm listening to you share stories of people coming in serving you, caring for you, spending time with you, teaching you, buoying you up in, in moments of depression and all, you know, all these kinds of things. And it's just love is such a critical key of that healing, even physically. It was cra- It's crazy, Nathan, because like a big component in my job at Telos was to give love. I felt like 
that was like a life calling is to like just express to people that they were worth it and valuable and worth my time and energy to try to line things up for them. And that even if they were misunderstood before, we can like people can become better and they can relearn how to help you more. And then I got to live that. (laughs) I got to live that being the recipient of love over and over through these like totally different tragedies. That love is the greatest antidote of all. Really, like if we can put all of our differences aside on planet Earth, like in the end, when we just love each other, like it just has power. It has so much power. And drawing conclusions from like this first experience and the second experience, number one, it's way harder to have someone walk on your heart than to fall off a mountain. Like it hurts way more. Yeah. But it's so beautiful to like, rise you know god's telling me like rise up fall off a mountain and rise up again that's where i'm at nathan like i'm rising up like it's very hopeful i got remarried somebody loves me he like wants to be with me i want to be with him and we're trying to figure this all out with a bunch of kids and we're going to the mountains again i haven't been back to mount Owen. i wanted to go last year and just like there was zero opportunities. So I've just been thinking a lot about touching those same places. And people are like, oh, you'll never do that again, will you? No, like I, if I could do it tomorrow, I would like the day after my accident, like I need to touch those same places and to like understand it more and to make peace with it. Because like me and mother earth don't need to keep clashing our heads together. (laughs) We need peace. Like we, I need to be able to go into the mountains and feel like that's my refuge and my safe haven again, you know. Crystal, thank you for sharing your story. It's so inspiring. I I love that I can sit here and trudge through the hardship with you and and listen to the power of your healing. And you're just such an amazing person. Like I've always admired your your optimism and your, your smile and your love towards other people. And I think part of part of why you are what you are today, even through all that healing is because of what you have chosen to give to people as well. So thank you. Thanks, Nate. Thank you for giving again. <laughs> now I have a greater capacity. I got to give more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you again. You're the best. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. I hope you were able to gain some insight into your own healing process as you listen to Crystal or how to help people on their journey. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Please share this episode with others you think might benefit from the messages that you heard today. If you or someone else you know would like to come on my show and share your healing journey, please reach out to me at nathansellerslcsw at gmail.com. I look forward to having you back on future episodes.